Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. Welcome to this week's show. Got a great show for you this week. We're going to be looking at a number of different things. We're going to be talking about animal rescue and the technology related to that. Dr. Lindman's going to join us this week to talk about more socialization with masks and some of the concerns that she sees dealing with this going forward. And we're going to talk a little bit about a new product that's coming out by Philips that adds surround lighting. Jeremy and Gretchen, welcome to the show this week. Hey there. It's going to be interesting to get into all of this a little bit. I like the idea that we're getting some more at-home hardware. And as to what that is and how it works, I think it'll be pretty cool. Awesome. Today's news is brought to you by Stephanie Schmidt Photography. Stephanie Schmidt Photography specializes in professional headshots, lifestyle images, and high school senior portraits. Visit SherwoodPortraits.com to learn more and to schedule your next photo shoot. What do we have in the news this week? Twitter developing a subscription-based service. Yeah, so Twitter's looking at different ways to make money off of their service. And one of those ways is to look at the idea of a paid Twitter service. Analysts are saying that they'd have to charge at least $50 a year for this to make any kind of benefit for them. What do you think about paying for Twitter? Nope. Yeah, I don't really see it. I'm still trying to decide whether I really want to stay on it or not. Yeah, I know. So social media is starting to wane a little bit um, across the board. And I noticed that we're getting some unusual offerings. We talked a little bit about Twitter's voice tweets a couple of weeks ago. And now this idea, it seems like there's a little bit of, well, People aren't using our platform as much, so maybe they'll use it more if they pay for it, which I'm not exactly sure how that makes sense, but that is the direction they seem to be going. There's no final, this is what we're going to do yet, but it is definitely something that's out there that's being considered. Rare Super Mario Brothers game sells for a record $114,000 at auction. Old video games are starting to become more valuable for collecting than things like baseball cards and some of the other stuff that used to be a little bit more popular. And this would definitely top it out. Uh, this is a Super Mario Brothers for the 8-bit Nintendo Entertainment System. It was an unopened package. They grade them just like they do comic books or baseball cards. Cool. And uh, it was one that was considered an unusual distribution because it was shrink-wrapped, but the hanger for the shelf was under the shrink wrap on the original box. And that's the one that was a little bit of a rarer one. And somebody paid. They, of course, don't disclose who bought it, but they paid a record $114,000 for this. And I know that... It Antique video games are really, really getting collectability. I just recently ran into a thing that I had some old Atari 5200 equipment and put it on eBay and was a little bit shocked what it sold for. People are wanting to buy more than the cartridges themselves, the original boxes and some things like that because they're a little bit more rare. So I guess this is definitely an encouragement for save your boxes because they will come in (laughs) valuable someday. More boxes full of boxes. Uh. Yeah, boxes of boxes. <laughs> and you know, I think I think as we see an era where it's more about downloading than buying media, the idea of the artwork on the you know copy the books. Oh, of, yeah, oh, I see where you're going. The, the yeah. artwork and the packaging is becoming collectible because it's not happening anymore. Yep, I see. Okay. Hey, um, Comic Con San Diego completes online at home event. So. Tell us about this. Yeah, last weekend was the weekend. Of course, they didn't have the in-person event due to COVID-19. Um, to uh, you know, th- that attracts a lot of people, and the bigger events are currently still not allowed in California or really anywhere else at the moment, for that matter. So they held an online event, and I got to catch a little bit of it. They did some of their panels. 
and some different things like that. And it seemed like something that was worthwhile. I kind of miss the in-person component of it. There's, of course, you don't have the ability to cosplay and all of that kind of stuff. But at least they had something. They made it free for anybody. So check out ComicCon.org if you would like to look at some of the panels. All of the information's up there. You can run it and review it on demand. And uh, it was kind of fun that they did something. You know, it's better than completely skipping it. But hopefully next year we'll be able to be back in San Diego. Augmented reality heads-up display for cars are finally a real thing. Yeah, and I got to try this out. I got a loaner BMW, um, and this was actually really kind of cool. And what they have is the system's built in behind the dashboard on the driver's side of the car, and it projects into the window, and you have different readouts. Your speed, if you have a navigation system, and it's set, it tells you the navigation instructions. And it took a little bit to get used to this, but it was kind of fun after the fact because you could actually see all this information without taking your eyes off the road. So yeah, that's kind of cool. I yeah, can that see with, nice. It's an enormous safety thing. So this car had three screens that all showed different aspects of navigation because the dashboard itself where the speedometer and all that is, is also just a screen now. There's uh, nothing mechanical anymore. And wow. um, so you set the navigation on the navigation computer in the center console. Then you had the overall information paraphrased in the dashboard between the speedometer uh, and the other readouts. Then you had the heads-up display, uh, which actually gave you the turn-by-turn direction. So it was kind of interesting. One thing that I found interesting about the press release is it stated that Mercedes-Benz was supposed to get this first of their 2021 models, but I know for a fact it's in the 2020 BMWs because I got to play with it. So um, cool. kind of interesting to see. I tried to contact their press office. No one returned my request for comment. So, uh, you know, who knows what the deal is with that. But I think it's kind of an interesting feature, and it was kind of a fun one. Uh, to have, and it seemed like it actually could make things a little bit safer. Cool. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Um, Apple makes move to allow users more privacy. Yeah, this is kind of a what's being called a major privacy move by cybersecurity specialists. And what it is, is Apple is updating their software so that you can do different things like disabling ad trackers, uh, knowing what the permissions actually are. So if you have an application you install that wants to track you, It'll pop up a screen that says the app would like permission to track you and access apps and websites owned by other com- companies. Um, and then it says that the, your data will be used to deliver personalized sad to you. And then you have an option of allow tracking or ask app not to track. Now, what I haven't been able to completely find out yet is if you ask the app not to track and still install it, even though you've asked it, does it still have the ability to override your request? Um, mm. So whether yeah. it does or doesn't, we'll find out in coming weeks. But the idea here that this is actually something that's they're taking real concern and bringing people's attention to, I think, is a good thing because you follow, find this all the time. And this happens a lot with third-party apps on both iOS and Android platforms where you'll install it. And you don't completely know what it's doing. It gives you a list of multiple permissions at once. Most people don't read it and just click OK. And then all <laughs> of a sudden, your data is no longer secure or it's doing something that you don't know about with it, you know. So that kind of a situation, this aims to give greater visibility to. Now, whether they actually block it out or not, we'll see. So we haven't gotten to review a lot of movies lately because there haven't been any, um, (laughs) which is a bit of a problem. And we've talked about some production that's already out there, and now we're starting to run out of that too. I noticed there's a few New episodes of things coming out in August, maybe, but there certainly hasn't been what I would consider a lot or anywhere near normal. Um, So one of the things we thought about doing is maybe looking at some of the hardware 
that's coming out. And we got a new product to try out called Philips Sync. And uh, that's, I think, something that actually is kind of cool. So I think, first of all, is to talk about what it is and then see what the need for something like this actually would be. And <laughs> the best way that I can explain it is on home audio systems for a long time, we've had surround sound. So you have multiple speakers and it gives you a theatrical experience with the idea of the music or dialogue or whatever coming at different directions in the room. And when that works like that, you're able to kind of get an experience of being there, so to speak. And there's different levels of that. And this new system is something that for the best I can call it would be something like surround lighting. It's what, like mood lighting it's like, from what you describe. Yeah, in a, in a sense, like mood lighting. And it's made by Philips, which is a uh, company from Holland. And they've produced a system called Hue for a while now, which is smart home lighting. It's a pretty good one. I use it and a lot of people do. And it works well and is kind of its thing. And I think what they're doing is looking at technology to extend this into other areas. And they've come up with a thing called a sync box. And the unit retails for about $229 is the suggested retail price. We'll get into that a little bit more in a minute here. And what it does is it plugs into your television through HDMI. And as you're watching television, it takes the ambient colors of the screen that you're seeing and in real time can change the lighting system around you to match those colors. So that's how it works. And it seems to work well. There's no lag or anything like that. So it's instant based on what's on the screen is what's around you. And when I first heard about this, I thought, you know, this sounds kind of silly. But the reality of the situation is I kind of like it. I don't know. Do you guys see a need for this? I was thinking maybe in hospitals. Okay. <laughs> Everything is so sterile and yucky. And if you had like lighting, which wouldn't be, you know, it isn't like you're adding stuff into the, uh, the, the room, maybe it would cheer people up. You yeah. know, I have seen TVs in the past that had LEDs behind the set. So that when you mount it on the wall, it, you don't have this weird, just big old darkness against the wall. They actually had color behind the screen. So. It is, it's been done before, but obviously this one's a lot better. Yeah, this takes it a step further in that you can kind of lay it out yourself and put everything together. And we're about out of time here, but the one thing I did want to comment on is it's the price that concerns me a little bit. To do a minimum system, if you don't already have smart lighting, is around $600, and to do it right is about 1000 So whether it's worth it or not, we'll see. I like it. I think it's kind of cool. I'm not sure I would have bought it. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. And welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Joining us, G, welcome to the show. Well, it's nice to be back after being gone for like a week. Yeah, a week or, or even yeah. 10 days, you know. Yeah, okay, whatever. whatever. <laughs> under COVID, who knows what day it is under COVID? Yeah. I, don't even, I mean, I, we're recording this on Friday, but it could be Tuesday for all I know. I know. I quit being able to keep track of that about a month ago, so... <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, you have a guest with you today. Would you like to introduce her? Yes, uh, Dr. Linda Lindman, a clinical psychologist who has been on our program several times. And we're, we want to talk today about COVID and how this is impacting the mental health of people and how we view each other 
since we're now all in masks. Yeah, that definitely. Well, I know that just makes a huge difference because you can't see someone's emotions. I've noticed that just talking to people. But but I think this goes a lot further than that. And and what do you what have you got? Well, there's two parts to it. Number one are the masks, like Gary talked about. It, it hides expressions of the face, and that's how we communicate with each other. You see the sadness and fear mostly in somebody's eyes, but you see disgust and happiness in their mouths. And with the mask, you can't see how a person is really feeling. So that's part one. You're already, you've created a distance between you and the person that you're facing. But the social distancing is even more troubling because it affects those people who are most vulnerable in our population. And that's people with mental disorders, the elderly, and people who have recently lost their jobs. So we don't have the interaction at work. We might be confined to our homes or only going out once in a while. So we don't have that social contact. And when we do have social contact, it's from behind a mask. So you're really prevented from socializing in the normal way that human beings are meant to socialize. And that results in a lot of pre-existing mental disorders getting worse. It increases stress. It increases insomnia. It increases substance abuse. Go figure. You stay home, you drink more wine, right? Right, right. Um, emotional exhaustion. And it, it really affects the elderly, which maybe Gary and I can sort of sympathize with since we're over <laughs> 65. So one quarter of all people over the age of 65 are already socially isolated. Now with COVID, they're even more isolated. So how permanent do you think the effects of this are going to be? Let's say we've came up with a antidote for this tomorrow and the masks are gone, is it already going to have a long-term impact? You know, I believe it will, uh, especially for children who have learned to fear strangers and fear people with masks who might contaminate them. It could result, on the other hand, in even more socializing, kind of making up for lost time. But we don't know until that happens. Um, well, you know, you know, if bars are any example, you know, People go to bars and they're, you know, the masks come off and they're bellying up to the bar and, and getting really close to each other. So maybe that's one example. It is one example. People may go out and do even more than they ever did before, but we really do not know until that happens. And we're doing a phased reentry. Uh, we're going to go back in small stages. So we're only going to be socializing with a few people slowly over time. Meanwhile, if you have some anxiety and depression that's set in, that's not easily um, reversed. And so we may have symptoms of depression, anxiety, and that sort of thing for many months to come. You know, one of the things we've talked about in the past is some of the psychology behind using computers and screens and that type of thing and the separation that creates. Is this similar in some ways? I think it is similar because you have that anonymity when you're using a computer. Like people on Facebook, they say some really awful things to each other because they're not face-to-face. -face. When you're behind a mask, you're also not reading that person's facial expression, and so you don't know how they're receiving whatever it is that you're telling them. You also don't know what they mean when they talk. If you can't see a smile, say, if they're using sarcasm, you can't interpret what they're communicating at all. So what are some suggestions that you might have? Because it looks like we're going to be stuck with this for a while. Well, one of the suggestions that I do have is to do uh, increase your remote contact. That at least will sort of uh, reduce some of the anxiety and depression that, that we tend to have as a result of isolation. So and what, do you, what do you mean by remote? 
Well, for instance, we're having a, a meeting remotely. You can get on Facebook. You can do, uh, what is that, Skype? FaceTime. Yeah, yeah FaceTime, yeah. Skype. You can do that kind of meeting. And at least then you don't have to wear a mask. <laughs> so you can see people's expressions and you can talk to them. And so you get a sense of being close to someone. All right. So that that makes sense. And I mean, we're all using a lot of the remote meeting platforms now. I know I've learned about ones that I didn't even know existed before March. Um, and, you know, that works. But one of the other questions I would ask on this, too, is something that's been in the news lately is the concern about distance learning, because if we can't go to work, our kids can't go to school. And you talked about the socialization with that a little bit. Do you think with, even with children using distant learning applications where they can see their teacher and other people, is that really a drop-in replacement for going to the classroom? It depends on, on what you're talking about, actual learning of academic material or learning to socialize which is a big part of what school is all about, learning to socialize. Right, and I think I would be asking about the socialization component of it. Yeah, well, it's definitely going to cause a problem with that. Um, I don't know how long school's going to be closed. I've heard that they're going to let a few students in at a time, so you have a reduced uh, number of students in the classroom. But how how do you keep 10 seven-year-olds six feet apart? I would hate to do it. It would be like herding cats. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and and you're not alone in feeling that way. thing that came out this week is about 20% of the uh, staff of teachers and that type of thing are planning to retire instead of having to go back to the classroom and deal with this kind of social distancing stuff. And it sounds just like what you're talking about. Yeah, it's going to be very difficult for teachers to deal with um, at any any age, whether it's elementary school or high school. Um, Kids want to be together. They're going to touch. They're going to breathe on each other. It's going to be nearly impossible to introduce them slowly into the classroom. Yeah, kids want to play, and that's just part of part of growing up, you know. Mm-hmm. So we've got about twenty seconds left here. Is there anything else you want to tell us? Just to um, really take advantage of doing the sort of remote social socialization that we're doing right now. Visit by Skype. Keep in touch with your uh, family members who are older. They're already lonely. They don't need to be any lonelier. And if you find that you really do have some clinical level problems, you need to use telehealth and talk to a psychologist or a counselor. Dr. Lindman, thank you. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Send us your questions and comments. We love to get them. It's how we do our programming. And the way you do that is send them to One User Friendly on Facebook or Twitter, or give us a call, 503-766-6264. This week's listener question has to do with finding jobs during the COVID-19 pandemic. And most of this has moved online. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. And I think actually I'll start with this, Jeremy and Gretchen. You have tried online applications, I know, in the past, pre-pandemic, and I think since. What is your feeling on it? Uh, I the, Applying online is okay. The problem is that no one ever responds. Yeah. Okay. And that's been, that's been going on for years. It's like, I understand you get inundated with something, but if I've taken uh, two hours to fill out your online thing, maybe email me back? Yeah. I mean, I, come on. And then there's also the descriptions of some of the jobs. Some of them just absolutely don't make any sense. Yeah, I or the requirements are unrealistic. Like they want six six years of experience for something that's only been around for two years. 
Yeah, I mean, we've run into that. True. The descriptions are actually kind of a big deal because it seems like a lot of them are written by uh, people that may not understand the technology industry specifically for that. And yeah. you end up with something that you kind of have to decrypt. Now, I've found that if you are able to understand one of those and you qualify, sometimes it is good to apply for them because not a lot of people will because of the description. And one thing, Jeremy, on your comment, I know, and this is one of the statistics, that it's about one out of 100 where you actually get some sort of a communication back. So you put out 100 resumes, you might get one or two that actually respond to you, and that is considered pretty normal. And, you know, so yeah. it's just um, it's just part of the thing. And this has changed so much because at one time, you know, you prepared for your interview, you still might apply online. Uh, not so long ago, you would still look for ads in the paper and that type of thing, but most of that is moved through a website or through the bigger services like a Monster or an Indeed. And what I found is right now, a lot of them in the information technology industry are actually looking for remote workers. And the whole process to apply has been moved online, including the interview, which is now done by Zoom or something like that. So I think that the idea of working, telecommuting, and that type of thing is here for a while. Even after the pandemic, I know that the big guys, Google and Amazon included in that, have both said that they won't be bringing workers back that are working remotely until after the end of the year, and that would be the earliest. So that does definitely seem to be the direction it's going in. Now, Gretchen, I know we were talking a little bit before the segment, and you said you've tried to look for remote positions and haven't been able to find a lot. No, um, it's really rare to find them, and I'm, I've been looking for that specifically. Uh, and, uh, a lot of these, uh, um, app, um, jobs that I won't want to apply for, they require you to move to the location. And I just cannot imagine moving to California right now. No. You know no, no, what no, I mean? No, 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 no. <laughs> oh, really anywhere. I mean, you, you know, yeah, that seems to be the last I, thing you want to do, do right now. I do have plans to move, but I don't want to make plans to move to a location where I don't want to go. Right. Nothing wrong with California. It's just, that's not my destination. And it would seem like that would be true for just about anyone that uh, doesn't want to relocate anyway. Or right now, I could see where that would be very difficult to do just yeah. with all the things that are going on. One of the other things to consider, too, when you apply online is to look at the job. If you're going through a, a site like a Monster or an Indeed, they have a description of what the resume should look like and all of that kind of thing. And there are algorithms in there that will pre-screen sometimes. So what you end up with a situation is if you submit something that's not in the right format or their pre-screening software can't understand it, it may never get to the job you're applying for. So it's important. And the problem with resumes is at least it's been my experience that there's as many opinions as people you talk to on what it actually should look like. Uh -huh. And it changes weekly. That was the part that, that frustrated me the most. Right. Was that, you know, you've got to go and, and reformulate everything on your resume depending on who you're sending it to. So and that just so got to be so much work. It was Basically, funny. if you had 100 job applications, you had to make 100 different resumes. Yeah, and that's something that, that takes that's a long crazy. time to do. And that's yeah. crazy. Well, the other <laughs> fun part was since it's all online, they want you to submit your resume. Then they want you to spend two hours filling out their online form, which is basically all the stuff in your resume. Right, right. Now, I have it's found that redundant. a lot of the systems recently are that you upload the resume and it's able to auto-complete a number of the fields. So they seem to be getting a little bit better with that using AI. That would be nice. And uh, once it does that, and you have taken the time to fill it out once, any other job you apply to from that site, say it's monster.com, you can usually, it's not 100%, but you can usually use those resume you filled out the first time and it will automatically rearrange it for whatever job you're applying for. So 
Let us know what experiences you've had if you're looking for a job in this time. We talk about it a little bit more. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Joining us now is Steve Mailer. Well, Bill, Jeremy, and Gretchen, we are on another animal rescue-saving interview today. I'm talking with two pretty wonderful women. Um, I'm going to let them introduce themselves because I know the last name of one of them. I don't know the last name of the other one. We've got Kelly Pettit, and also we have Heidi, and they're both from the Animal Rescue Relay. I think I, I, think I pronounced that right, correct? Correct. Okay. Heidi, what's your last name? Nielsen. Nielsen. Okay. So um, what you're hearing in the background with Heidi and Kelly is that they actually have some some dogs that they're just today on a mission to pick up and rescue and bring them to some forever homes. And the uh, the Pet Rescue is a, is a wonderful organization. And uh, Kelly, how did how did this organization start for you guys? You know what? I will let Heidi give you that information because she's the one that sucked me into it. So I'll let, I'll let her give you that information and then we'll go from there. So it's Heidi's fault. Okay, Heidi, give, it, a, give us a little down. All right. So uh, so I was on vacation with my brother and sister-in-law and, and my niece in Disney World one year, several years back. And my sister-in-law says, hey, I'm thinking about starting a rescue, like a nonprofit. What do you think for to transport dogs? And I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, kind of nonchalant. Yeah, sure. that, sounds like, okay. that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> so um, we did not know. We thought there would be a huge need for moving dogs from, you know, point A to point B. And there is. But we also didn't realize how many organizations like us already do exist. Oh, wow. Um, we really didn't know much. We, I, didn't, I didn't know anything about rescue at all. And then I made one trip down to Fresno and I uh, asked one of my friends to foster if I brought a dog home if they would foster it and they said yes so I did <laughs> pulled one from a shelter and then that was and then got it vetted on my own dime and found it a home and I thought well that's not that hard I can I can right. do that again and okay did that for several months um before we ever even got a 501c3 nonprofit status and then um needed a trip we were taking another trip down to Fresno so I called Kelly and said hey you want to go down to Fresno and grab some dogs <laughs> you know, with me, and she's like, "Yeah, sure." Oh, okay. So she Kelly, nine dogs and a goat. Yeah, nine dogs and a goat. And it was, oh my! It was like uh, a, hook, a fish on a hook. I was, I yep. was, uh, I was. You're stuck. done. I was yep. done. It's like the mafia. Once you're in, you never get out. Nine <laughs> dogs, and you said a goat. A goat. A goat. Oh yeah. my gosh. Okay, well, that's going to take care of one of my questions in the future. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And and about how long would you say you guys have been doing this? Um, we got our 501c3 in August of 2018. Okay, so a couple um, of years. And, yeah, and then I was probably doing it pretty hardcore for about eight or nine months before that, just on my own, all my 401k money. Um, oh, wow. Which is, you know, it's, it, I figured, who knows, you know, you, you don't know what the future is. So I knew right then and now I could do some good with my retirement money, and, and so I did. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So now I've noticed some really great videos um, 
from Kelly's Facebook link, a lot of Facebook live stuff. And uh, it looks like you have, you know, quite a f- is it, right now. It looks like, is it just the two of you on the road? Uh, we, the two, two of us travel together um, quite a bit, but we, I mean, we're, there's a whole web of networkers, of transporters, of fosters. Um, so there's quite a few people that, that we meet up with along the way that transport. Actually, we're, we're at, in a parking lot right now meeting up with one gal. She just came two and a half hours from like the uh, clear. She came from Clear Lake okay. um, to bring us two small dogs that she'd been fostering. So, okay. yeah. So how, how do people find out about particular missions that you're on? Um, I generally will tag if we have dogs that need to be moved. I've gotten to the point now where just off the top of my head, I know who lives kind of in what area. Okay. And so I'll just start tagging a bunch of those people and ask, you know, hey, we've got, you know, two dogs going from Fresno to Stockton on Saturday or Sunday who can help. And then, wow. you know, kind of build, you know, and sometimes it takes like three or four different relays. We might have one from Fresno to Merced and then Merced to Modesto and then Modesto to Stockton and then Stockton to Reno. So okay. sometimes it, it, it gets really um, complicated. It very, very intricate. So it sounds, like you've yeah, got yeah. A, it sounds like you have a wonderful network set up. Um, you know, and it also sounds like a very rewarding thing. Has, have there been any, what you would consider any unsuccessful relays where the dog didn't, you know, something went wrong or, uh, you know, the dog didn't or the dog or cat didn't work out on in their forever home there there's been there's been a few there was one that i transported up that was a 12 year old dog that was found living in a field for lord knows how long and got him up to tahoe and realized he needed to go to the vet and got him to the vet we had to put him down the next day because he was just so okay but he was in a good foster home had a lot of love before we uh we picked him up and, and there's been a few but nothing i mean compared to the amount of dogs that we've gotten it's very minute yeah. yeah, we've adopted out probably about 470 dogs. And, That's fantastic. Um, and we do, I mean, we, our rescue, we always take our dogs back. People have to sign a contract that says if for any reason at all, we, if you can't keep the dog, you, you know, you're not allowed to rehome it. You're not allowed to okay. take it to a shelter. They have to bring the dog back to us or, or at least call us and they might say, hey, my best friend said that they could take the dog and so then we'll just have them fill out an application and do a home check and then okay. that's fine but we've taken any dog that we've taken back we've then gotten you know successfully adopted it back out so that's amazing um, okay so yeah. i mean I, I like hearing that you you kind of have a plan by which the whatever happens to the dog or the the animal that you have to be notified that the communication goes back through you and the control for that animal goes back through you guys. So that sounds really important. Yeah, and all of our dogs are microchipped. And in the last probably two, about year and a half or two years, we've been doing our own microchipping. And the nice thing about that is even if something happens and, you know, the, the owner's don't update like if they move and they don't update that information the chip will always come back to us okay so no matter what we always you know even if god forbid something happens the dog ends up in a shelter somehow yes we will still get a phone call that's fantastic okay yeah now how how can people donate because i mean when you when you're on the road and you have travel expenses you you guys are paying for that out of your own pockets Uh wow yes so how can people donate to this wonderful cause 
Um, we have a donate button on our website, which is animalrescuerelay.org. Um, we have PayPal, which is Heidi at animalrescuerelay.org. We have Venmo, which is Heidi-Nielsen-2. Um, you could do an old-fashioned check. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, okay. You mean, those more, still work? You know, those still work? It still works. Wow. It still works. Okay. Now, you know? So, yeah, there's there's quite a few quite a few options. And, and even if people just got online and emailed, you know, or messaged us, we have a Facebook, um, we all, our own Facebook page. You could People can message us and That's ask. That's fantastic. Well, you, you know yeah. what? You guys should be applauded for the heroic work that you're doing because I think it's fantastic. And I thank you so much, both of you, for joining us today on User Friendly. Um, and continued success, okay? Thank you. Thank you so much All for right. having us. Bill, Jeremy, and Gretchen, take it away. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. So we've talked a little bit about television, and I know you are looking at a series that's coming up or a movie or something called Bad Batch. Tell us about what this is. Okay. Well, Bad Batch is part of the Star Wars, Clone Wars, um, you know, genre. And the Bad Batch is a a particular group of clones that are each unique. And, um, when they did the, um, the last, um, season? Yeah, last season of the Clone Wars, we had an arc with them in it and Clone Force 99. Uh, so everybody was really excited about that because we'd seen the, the animatics that never got finished. And the, and the characters are really interesting and unique. Yeah. So this new series is going to take place after the Clone Wars is over and it's going to be kind of a mission of the week, you know, A team style. As far as we know. So if you like the clones and you like, you know, the military type of camaraderie, the missions, the adventure type stuff, I would think this would really be yeah. like something up your alley. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Now, is this on Disney Plus? Yes. Okay. And speaking of Disney Plus, have you guys had any trouble with your streaming services recently? Just a bit. Yeah. I actually tried to watch three different movies yesterday. And um, I keep getting messages. I'm sorry, we can't show you that right now. And I was like, really? I didn't think anybody else was watching Haunted Mansion, you know? And well, then there was yeah. uh, uh, the, the Brother Bear I wanted to watch, and I wanted to watch Mulan. And all three of those, I was told no. <laughs> well, that's interesting. I've been noticing this on Hulu a little bit with some of the on-demand content. It'll work or it won't work at all, or it will work, and then it stalls in the middle of the playback. Yeah, we've had that too. Yeah. It's, it seems like everybody's using all the internet. Yeah, I wonder why yeah, that it, is. It must be the internet because <laughs> we have our we have two different systems that we use, um, the Fire Stick and our PlayStation. And they um, both have problems. And they both have, are having problems. So it must not be the devices. It's something else. Yeah, something to do with the actual connection. I know on the Fire TV Stick, there's a known problem with Hulu. And it actually is oh. very annoying. And what will happen is it'll play for a little while. And then force the device to reboot. And it doesn't do it on all of them, but it does on some. And I was having a problem with one of mine with that. I finally had to hardwire it in to get it to work right. 
Oh, my mom's been having problems with hers too, and different different problems. Yeah, where the people are talking weird. Yeah, where they sink and that type of thing. So uh-huh. we'll dig into that a little bit. And if anybody listening has had this kind of problems, let us know what you've had to give us a little more light on it, because it would definitely be something worth discussing if it's a problem that's more widespread. And I know stuff like that can be really frustrating, especially since right now, when a lot of people depend on streaming media services to be able to get their content, it's got to work, you know? Yeah. All right. So upcoming shows, still looks like we're going to have the virtual version of Black Hat August 1st through 4th. So that's in a couple of weeks. Silicon Valley Comic Con is still set for October 16th and 18th. So we'll see if that one actually comes off. And the same thing with the Star Trek convention in December. Until next week, this is User Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User Friendly 2.0 is copyright 2020, User Friendly Media Group, Inc. The views and opinions expressed in this show are those of the host and not necessarily User Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensing by BMI. Hosting provided by WeAreTechnology.com. Podcast available at TheAnswerPortland.com or UserFriendlyShow.com.